Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Can you hear me? Woo! We're good. All right. Guys, we will continue those conversations after the church. And yeah, the compassion stuff will be at the back to peruse in your timing um, after the church as well. And, and feel free to go speak to David. I'm sure he would love to answer any of your questions that you have. Um, we are going to be reading from the Bible today. Oh, we read every week. What a surprise. Uh, but we will be reading. Um, I read from the NIV, which is the um, Bible in the end of your pews. Um, but feel free to grab this on your phone, whichever is quicker. Uh, we are reading from Jonah today as one of the um, books of the Bible that we're going through at the moment. And then we will read through Matthew. So first reading today comes from Jonah 4, 1 through 11. Is that right? Yeah. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy with the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint." He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Next is Matthew, uh, chapter 12, 38 through 42. So Matthew, chapter 12, 38 through 42. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous gift or sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Amen. Thanks very much, Ruth. Let me add my welcome to Ruth and that of others from up the front. I'm Simon. Uh, people call me Jacko, um, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, and can I just warmly welcome you publicly, brother, uh, Dave Helliard from Compassion. Um, Dave and I travelled, as he mentioned, to Masbate in the Philippines a few years ago now. Um, and uh, it was a great trip uh, to just sort of see firsthand the work of Compassion uh, and uh, we were able to, I was, had the privilege of meeting one of our sponsor children 
on that. On it, both of our sponsored children on that trip as well, which was just really great uh, to sort of see where they live. It was kind of confronting as well uh, to see the area in which they live. It made me reflect on just how privileged I am, how blessed I am, if you want to, can use that word, with the resources I have. Um, and it was just great to be able to see how some of the resources we have were going to work in a place like Masbate in the lives of children and, and broader communities. Um, and as a pastor, I know I'm paid to love the church, um, but beyond being paid to love the church, I theologically, biblically believe the church is the leading edge of his mission in the world. And so to see, to be able to partner with an organization which believes that as well, which is um, Christ-centered, church-based, um, is really wonderful. And um, so I can just highly commend the work of Compassion and encourage us to be generous today as we think that through. Anyway, uh, we are in this series called Books We Don't Read, uh, looking at the 12 minor prophets, and we come to the prophet Jonah today, uh, which is probably one of the most well-known, probably, of the minor prophets uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, And uh, I would love it um, if you've closed your Bible or shut down your app, whatever it is, to reopen your Bible um, and uh, open up to Jonah chapter 4 as we take a look at Jonah uh, this morning together and see what his prophecy would have to say to us. You know me, I love to get you talking amongst yourselves. I'm just going to give you 60 seconds for this one. It's going to be pretty, you know, like punchy. Um, But I just want you to think with the person next to you, what's the most humorous thing that you experienced this week? What was the funniest thing you experienced in your past week? Someone said something, you watched something, you did something funny. Maybe that's a possibility. Um, Have a chat to the person next to you. The funniest thing you saw, experienced, heard, did this past week. Go for it. 60 seconds. Have a go. All right, I'll get you to come back together. We, uh, I won't get everyone to kind of yell out the funniest thing, but uh, we'll do like a straw poll. Anyone, did anyone have nothing funny happen this week in their lives? Yeah, Jesse and Green, you should get together and console yourselves or go and watch a comedy or something like that. I don't know. I'm assuming everyone else heard, saw something funny. Anyway, raise your hand, saw something funny, did something funny. Yeah, very good. Okay. Well, as I said, that may or may not have anything to do with what we're looking at today. Um, but do, if you would, keep uh, Jonah chapter 4 open in front of you. That would be really good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for our time together this morning to uh, hear from you, Father. We thank you for uh, the freedom we have uh, to sing of your great love for us. We praise you for the freedom we have to gather and dwell in the great love you have for us. And we pray now, Father, that by your Spirit and through your Word, you would speak to our hearts, challenge us, uh, comfort us, Father, um, do your work in us, uh, that we would, Father, be men, women, who have experienced your love and your grace and your mercy. And Father, we pray that you would send us out with your same heart for those amongst whom we live, and work. We pray, Father, that you'd use us for the
for the good of our neighbour and for your glory. So take this time, we pray, and change us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would be good again, yeah, if you have Jonah chapter 4 open in front of you, uh, page 1438 in the Bibles that are sort of scattered around the seats. It would also be good this morning if you would switch on your sense of humour this morning, um, if you've got one, not looking at anyone, um, because I think you need a bit of a sense of humour for the book of Jonah. Uh, in part, I think Jonah is made or written to make us kind of laugh or chuckle at least a little bit. Got a Jewish friend who says, I always read, whenever I read Jonah, I read it with a big smile on my face. I know it's in the Bible, brothers and sisters. I know the scriptures are serious. I get that. But I think the humor of Jonah, at least in the first part, is designed to kind of carry us along all the way to the kind of sharp and pointed bits that we come to in the final chapter. And they're because they're too sharp, I think, to swallow without a big sort of swig of, of humour. If you know the story of Jonah, um, you'll remember that it begins with God telling Jonah, son of Amittai, to go and preach against the wickedness and the sin and the awfulness of the place called Nineveh. It's a scary calling, and it's fairly easy to work out Jonah's mindset. He's just basically saying, look, not Nineveh. Like, I'll go anywhere else, but just not Nineveh. They're foreigners. They're the enemy to any self-respecting Jew. Go east, says God. So his prophet goes west to a place called Joppa, where he climbs on a boat bound for a place called Tarshish. That's at like the far end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's not really a good start for Jonah, you would agree. But God's not easily beaten, right? A storm blows up and the ship that he's on as he's sailing towards Tarshish, um, it's, it's going down, the storm's raging, the ship's about to sink and Jonah owns up to the stirrings. He says, it's because I've disobeyed God. And with that, ask, he, with that he asks God to be thrown overboard. And so the sailors on the ship, they agree, they throw him overboard. And where does Jonah land up? He lands in the belly of a whale. I know the Hebrew actually means big fish, and you say, how big is the fish? Well, if you know a fisherman, right, a fisherman will say it was a big fish. It was you know, like a big fish, a huge fish. And Jonah proves a bit of a mouthful, and three days later, this fish vomits him up onto the shore, humbled and ready for his second chance, his second call to Nineveh. The second call to Nineveh, Jonah actually obeys. We're not given any time scale here. Um, I don't know, I kind of picture Jonah wandering from the shore into Nineveh, kind of, you know, with bits of seaweed and some plankton stuck on his head and a bit sort of covered in whale vomit, right? Um, he gets to Nineveh, and when he arrives in Nineveh, I don't know, maybe he'd knocked off a few plankton by this stage, but he arrives in Nineveh, and he preaches, I think, what is the least attractive gospel sermon ever recorded in the Bible. Basically, it goes like this. Hey, Nineveh, you've got 40 days, and then you've had it. Mate, that's the gospel message. That's the message he preaches. Nineveh, 40 days, then you've had it. And the shock in the story is that 
these rough, wild, seedy, godless Ninevites believed him, right? They repented. They turned to the living God. I mean, really, genuinely, even the top brass of the country, the kings, repented. Now, imagine it's like, I don't know, Anthony Albanese getting all the cross benches to kind of support him and Peter Malinowskis and, I don't know, Anastasia Palaszczuk and even Daniel Andrews. Yes, Daniel Andrews put their signatures on the degree of repentance. We've all turned back to the Lord. And God sees their repentance and his threat of judgment is relented. I don't know, perfect timing for a Compassion Sunday, isn't it, right? You know Jonah, you know, Jonah, he's going to send through a video clip of the transformed Ninevites to our 10 a.m. service at City Light Church, North Adelaide. And he's there, he's, you know, and he's cleaned off all the seaweed and the plankton and the vomit, and he's standing there and he just says, thank you. Thank you, City Light Church, North Adelaide, for your support and your gifts. It's all been worth it. It's incredible. You won't believe it. But there's been revival in the city of Nineveh of all places. Can I get an amen? Can I get an hallelujah? The problem is Jonah didn't send the video because he didn't like what had happened. The evangelist, Jonah, is too busy feeling grumpy. The, the, the prophet is... is sulking like a, I don't know, like a sulky teenager. No offence to any sulky teenagers in the room. But, and that's where our chapter starts, with what I've called the prophet's prejudice. You see, Jonah is angry about God's kindness and mercy to the Ninevites. He's not amazed by grace. Look with me at chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. I mean, in Nineveh deserved destruction. The world would have been a better place without it. God had spoken at the beginning of this little book. You know, we don't need to read about Nineveh's wickedness. And he didn't say any more because he didn't have to. Everyone knew. Even the Ninevites themselves spoke of their own evil and their violence. I was trying to work out what the equivalent to like Nineveh might be today. Like, forget lovely Adelaide in some ways. I, I was just drawn to think about, like, Damascus, the city of Damascus, like where, you know, think of blowpipe bombs and gassing of civilians laid at President Assad's door. You know, and, and you see all this on the news. You see Damascus in a state of anarchy, and, and they seem to get away with it. I mean, you can understand it, can't you? Jonah is angry about Nineveh and he's angry with God. Look at verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Jonah is a prophet, right? So do take him seriously. He knows the Bible. So when he says God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, he's just quoting how God described himself back in Exodus chapter 34. And what it looks like in practice is what Jonah feared all along. Judgment never falls. Nineveh seems to get off scot-free. 
God is just a soft touch. He's weak in Jonah's eyes. Jonah thinks that what the world needs is someone much stronger to handle it. And so Jonah resigns as the prophet of the Lord. Have a look at verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Think about this with me for a bit. I think Jonah's complaint is a 21st century complaint as well. I mean, we certainly raise questions about the thought of God's judgment and its fairness. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, God's grace worries us as well. We can be disturbed by God seemingly being a soft touch or weak. Because there are times when we, our culture and our society, believe in guilt, not just in sickness. We believe in jail and not just rehab for people. We feel this every time. I think we... We hear of or we see a serious criminal about to be released back into our community. Whatever the parole board's reasons for releasing this person back into society, you know, we don't hear anyone calling for that person to have a second chance just for them to be taken off the streets forever. The feeling is often that the parole board has been a bit of a soft touch, a little bit weak. And we Christians, I think, can often fuel the flame by all too often talking glibly about the grace of God. And when we listen as others reflect back what they've heard we say. I mean, many of us here today will have heard the question that goes something like this. Someone brings up an evil figure from history, like, I don't know, Adolf Hitler. He's an easy target. I mean Hitler, you hear this right, I mean Hitler, he did all kinds of wicked and all kinds of terrible things and you're saying that God will just like forgive him if he comes back to him? Heard that question before? Have you had that kind of question? And the tone of the question isn't one of kind of wonder, wow that's amazing that he would be forgiven, it's one of scorn. And the thought is that's weak and unfair, that's a really soft touch. If you know any of that, anything of that, listen to this. Larry Nasser was a doctor of the US gymnastics team and a few years ago, Larry Nasser was sentenced to 175 years in federal prison for sexually abusing over 150 young girls and young women. Rachel Denholder, there's a picture of her, this is Rachel Denholder, was one of those abused. And she gave a victim statement. She's hurt, she's angry at what she and all the others went through. And she asked the judge presiding over this case to pass a sentence, and I quote, that reflects how much a little girl is worth. She goes on, pass a sentence that tells us that what was done to us matters. Now, Rachel is a Christian. She knows God's grace. She knows his compassion and love, but she also knows there is more to it. Here's more. I'm going to read a a section from her victim's statement and and picture her. She's across the court from Larry Nasser person who's inflicted all this harm on her 
And she's speaking, picture this, she's speaking directly to him. This is what she says, I'm quoting her. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. She goes on, You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it's better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to even make one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you carry carries, speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray, she said, that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Though, she said, I extend that to you as well. It's a profound word. Gospel grace. But there's no soft touch there, is there? No weak God. She knows the anger that Jonah experienced, the anger at evil, but not Jonah's anger with God. Jonah can't hear that kind of thing. He's just like a sulky teenager, so he slams the door shut. The thing is, he may have been finished with God, but of course God isn't finished with him. And the prophet's prejudice gives way to discovering God's heartbeat. Our second point this morning. Like a patient father gently knocking at the bedroom door, verse 4, the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? I love this. Hey, Jonah, think again. It's as if God asks us that question, you know, think again. But not Jonah, he's in the midst of a sulk or a tantrum. This is a truly epic tantrum of like childish, massive proportions. In verse 5, he leaves the city. I mean, like the city's just turned to Christ. Jonah, you're a prophet of the Lord. Why not stay and pastor the city, Jonah? 
Anyway, he doesn't do that. He runs away and he builds a shelter, even though there are plenty of shelters in the city. Uh, You get that feeling that Jonah still holds hope that God will kind of destroy the city, whilst he knows perfectly well that he won't. So in verse 6, God's tactics are to provide this fast-growing plant for Jonah's therapy, gives him shade, and in Jonah's world, it makes Jonah really happy. Nature's wonderful, but only then he discovers in verse 7 that nature is a little bit unreliable. Some, I don't know, vine, beetle, or worm kind of comes along and like destroys the plant. Um, I think in my house, I've got lots of those because all my plants don't survive very well. But anyway... um, By the way, by the way, when you read the book of Jonah, you find that everyone and everything in the story is really quick to obey God, apart from his prophet. It's really interesting. The sea obeys, the sailors obey, the big fish, however big, obeys, Nineveh obeys, even the plants obeys, and now the worm obeys. Does everything that God says. Verse 8 Uh, When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. The plants shriveled up, the temperatures soared, Jonah's suicidal, very happy one moment, I'd rather die the next. It's the teenager kind of yo-yo emotional swing going on. And, the, and then God repeats the same question from verse 4 in verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry? But then he adds, about the plant. It is, Jonah said. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. And he, I don't know, slams the door again. But the patient parent that he is, God, doesn't challenge Jonah's answer. He just goes talking through the bedroom door. I, my eldest is 11 years old. She's not yet a teenager, but I've had numerous moments where I've been talking through the door. I don't know what it's going to be like when she actually becomes a teenager. Just pray for me. No, um, He's there at the door, he's talking to Jonah, sulking, having a tantrum. And he kind of reflects Jonah's anger back to him, kind of holds up a mirror to Jonah, giving Jonah a chance again to, to look at what he's saying, to see, that his, like, to see his concerns for what they really are, petty, selfish, and just personally convenient. I mean, Jonah is concerned for, do you notice verse 10? He's concerned for a plant, or plant, if we're Adelaidean, right? A plant he'd done nothing for. He hadn't planted it, he hadn't watered it, he hadn't cared for it, he hadn't even talked to it. And yet he's here, he's, he's very concerned because it sheltered him, and now he's mourning over this one fatality. He's mourning over the fatality of a plant, And that's why in verse 11, God asks, what about Nineveh? Look with me at verse 10 and 11. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow, sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, what about Nineveh? What about the people 
that live in Nineveh, that the 120,000 people that are made in my image, 120,000 people, it was like a mega city back in the ancient day. Imagine 120,000 coffins all lined up, waiting to be filled, but still empty. And Jonah is really sad that all those coffins are not filled. 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. It's not a literal saying that they don't know that this is the left hand and the right hand. Um, I had a friend who was um, helping his daughter uh, learn how to drive one day, and this daughter had learnt, um, you know, her left hand from her right hand by doing this, you know, like, you know, which is the right way round. And so in this, like, this dad is teaching her daughter how to, his daughter how to drive, and they're driving around, and they're driving, and she's kind of a little bit nervous and anxious, and he says, okay, can you turn left here? And she took her hands off the steering wheel and did this. It's not like that, right? It's not like that. Um, what Jonah's talking about here is how they don't know your left hand from your right hand. It's, it's this sense of moral naivety or spiritual ignorance. 120,000 people in Nineveh who wouldn't have known about God's coming judgment and his wonderful offer of grace and mercy had Jonah not preached it to them. Should I have not concern? Should I have not have concern for that great city? Is his question. Should I not have concern for? That's the heartbeat of God. Should I not have concern for? Of course, he sees the evils and the hurts that riddle any great city, then and now. The violence that Nineveh was notorious for, the poverty that always sat alongside the wealth, the broken lives and the family breakdown, the seedy underbelly of crime, the sophisticated evil of the wealthy. He sees it all. 120,000 people bound for hell, separation from God forever. Should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh? Because you're angry and concerned For one plant, Jonah, am I not entitled to be merciful after all? Having God speak to him through the door, Jonah sees the point, took a deep breath. He went back into Nineveh and he taught and pastored and grew the people of God. Well, that's possible, right? We're not told that. You see, the book... Of Jonah wasn't really written for Jonah. It's written for us to tell us what it will mean for us to meet God. For this is the God we will meet, and this is the heartbeat of the God who will meet. Meeting God, like, of course we can postpone that meeting, but not forever. We're only postponing the inevitable. When the day comes and the calamity and the destruction and the judgment of God comes, when the Lord Jesus returns, you know, if, if at that moment we, we kind of mutter to ourselves, I don't really have much to go on. There's, there wasn't really an opportunity for me to turn back to God. I didn't have enough information. At that point, we're going to find the, the people of Nineveh standing up to condemn us. We only had Jonah's preaching to go on. And we turn back to God. And they'll say, it wasn't much of a preach. 40 days and you're done. But they turn back. 
you know, here today at City Light Church North Adelaide, we've got the words of one greater than Jonah. We've got one whose words were greater than Solomon, the words of Jesus within reach. You can postpone meeting God. You can't avoid it. You know what? We can be those who turn and meet the Lord right now. But this is the God we will meet and his heartbeat challenges our prejudices. His grace and his mercy challenges our prejudices. Jonah, right? Jonah was involved in world mission, wasn't he? As he went to Nineveh. Jonah was a a world missionary as he went to Nineveh, but he was hardly a global Christian. At City Light Church North Adelaide, our vision statement is to see more people, more like Jesus, from all nations. But are we global Christians? The God of Jonah, the God of the Old Testament, was a global redeemer. He chose a people to be a blessing to who? All nations, including wicked foreign Nineveh. And the God of the New Testament is a global redeemer too, with the same heartbeat. You know the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. Probably can, half of us can say it off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, it's so familiar. I think it's lost its shock and its impact. God so loved the world. Not just Israel. Not just the people of a foreign country like that. Not just Nineveh. But the world. Loving them. Rescuing them from judgment. Should I not have concern for Nineveh? God asked Jonah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. It's that God who meets my prejudices, broadens our horizon and insists that we, that I become global Christians with a worldwide vision. The late great John Stott said this, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And I think it's easy, right, on Compassion Sunday to think that we're blessed and that we're being a blessing through the work of compassion as the gospel goes out to all manner of places. And I'm pumped, brother, that the gospel is going to go into two new countries. And we should, as a church, I think, pray for that. Um, Malawi and Myanmar, is that right? Let's pray for that. But God is also at work, right, in places where missionaries and mission agencies can't go. God did it in China when missionaries were expelled in the 1950s and he grew his church in China to tens of millions of people. And I don't know if you know, there's like a current crackdown on house churches in that country, but guess what? It's not going to stop our God. He's doing it in countries like Iran, growing tens and even hundreds of thousands of Christian believers in that place. We are blessed And we are privileged to send missionaries. But we're also really blessed and privileged to receive missionaries from all over the world. I mean, personally, I've been blessed by brothers and sisters coming from Asia into our country and into our city, whether it's 
brothers and sisters from Korea or Vietnam, we are greatly blessed by men and women coming from places like Africa and South America. Many people who've had far less resources than us and yet have so much to teach us. Those thoughts will be in the heads and hearts of global Christians. God will stretch us in so many different ways. He'll stretch how we pray. You see, how can I pray to a global redeemer and only bring him concerns that are personal and local? Should I not have concern for? It's why we pray for our world Sunday to Sunday. It's why we pray for our world at our monthly prayer meeting, the boiler room. Last time we gathered together, we prayed for the 10 countries in our world with the most Christians in them. It was great. Eye-opening. I don't know, do you ever listen to the news and you're watching the news and you're thinking about how things, what's happening in the world and you just sort of turn to prayer for the world? He'll stretch our horizons when it comes to prayer. He'll stretch our horizons as to how we relate to one another as global Christians. I can't be a global Christian and only mix with my own type, right? Should I not have concern for, God will whisper in my ear. One of the things we reflected on yesterday, and I think it's evident as you just look around, like our church is becoming increasingly diverse. We've got people from all kinds of different places all around the world. And we're having to think about what does it look like? How do we get along and relate with each other when we've got different cultural expectations of community and hanging out together and all that sort of stuff? I'd love to hear your ideas about how we can embrace that and fan that into flame. He'll stretch our horizons also about how we give financially. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only. It's impossible as a Christian to kind of keep my finances out of my discipleship or out of my following of Jesus, given that I follow a God who is scandalously generous. Or simply to restrict my financial generosity to the local, should I have concern for? Um, here's a picture of a woman coming up. That's a lady on the left. Her name's Carol. It's a friend of mine, Scott. Um, Carol was a part of a church that I pastored back in Sydney. Um, she was a widow. And she uh, lived off a really small pension. Um, and she had in her, her living room, she lived in a housing commission space in the suburb where our church was. In her living room, she had on the mantelpiece a, a jar, uh, just a small jar, where at the beginning of each week she put into that jar the money that she would give to the ministry of our church the following Sunday. She never gave out of what was left over at the end of the week. She put that aside at the beginning. She was an inspiration. She, she actually went to the Lord last week, Carol, and now she's with her saviour. She's a wonderful woman. A call to us at City Light Church North Adelaide is be as generous as you can to local work but also to global work. God will stretch our horizons, how we pray, how we relate, how we give. 
and about how we go. How far we go is not the litmus test of a global Christian. Here at City Light Church North Adelaide, I don't know, we send out about 100 missionaries every week and guess what? You are one of them. The question is, are you going, carrying the heartbeat of God? As you hit the wards, step into the office, walk onto campus, go back into your neighbourhoods. You know, you can be a long way away without God's heartbeat or it can just grip you and shape you and drive you all the time. I was catching up the other day with a 24-year-old He'd just spent a month-long stint in a mission hospital and he told me about a Muslim he'd met there. He said, I love that man. I'd never have met that man if I hadn't gone. There are tens of thousands like him and, and to know their family name and to eat the food they eat and to be with them and to live life with them and to get malaria with them, to live and talk about Jesus with them. He loved it. That's the heartbeat of a global redeemer beating in the heart of a global Christian. Should I not have concern for? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. May God give us that heartbeat individually and together as a church here at City Light Church North Adelaide. We're just going to pause for a couple of minutes and in our own hearts and minds give thought to the question, should I not have concern for dot, dot, dot. How would that sentence end for you as you head out into a new week? Should I not have concern for a family member, a friend, a country, a missionary? people at work, people you study with. I don't know, the big issue seller that you pass by every day. I'll just give you a minute to think and to pray before we sing again together. Should I not have concern for? I'll give you just a minute in your own heart to pray for those things. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.